Welcome to the Earth Keepers podcast. This podcast is for people who seek new and better ways to love and care for the Earth. It's a podcast for anyone who is deeply concerned about the harm being done to the environment on a local and global level. It's a podcast that builds community and connection between people of like heart and mind, people who believe that Earth care should be integrated into every aspect of life, and for many in the Earth Keepers community, that includes our spiritual practices. Welcome, friends, to the Earth Keepers podcast. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Earth Keepers podcast. This is a different episode. Uh, about every six months or so, James and I take time to look back at where we've been and try to see some of the, the themes that have emerged uh, throughout the different episodes, but also to link them to things that are happening in the world. So, James, welcome. Yeah. First, I want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast and for giving helpful feedback to us about our episodes. Um, we're really pleased with what we've been able to do and excited about what's coming up. But it's also good to pause and just recognize some of the themes that we've been noticing both in the wider world and from our guests. And I think the first one that I want to talk about with you, Forrest, is really pertinent as we come out of COVID and begin to kind of emerge from our cocoons and uh, look around at the world. And I think what I'm observing is that people are coming out of this much more aware of how globally connected we are. And as it comes to earthkeeping, that's obviously a natural theme to make those connections, which is really good. But I also see people increasingly recognizing the wisdom and the leadership from people perhaps who haven't been recognized before, uh, particularly indigenous people. And I think about events over the last six months, particularly in our country, uh, the United States, where we have our first Native American leader of the Department of the Interior, Deb Holland, who's a member of Laguna Pueblo people, and now oversees, from the government's perspective, all of the federal lands and policies and, and things like that. That's really, really exciting and quite a first. I think, too, that there's actually very recently more attention being given to injustices uh, of the past in terms of North American indigenous people and how they've been treated and the trauma that they continue in some ways to suffer culturally and socially. So even though it's uh, saddening to, to hear that history, I think it's necessary. We need to be facing the truth. And I think, uh, I think that movement is, is gaining some ground. I have to say that for me, one of the really interesting developments in the podcast uh, has been to think about indigenous people beyond North American borders, because I just think there's so much wisdom when you look at, at multiple cultures uh, across the world. Interestingly, I do find that with indigenous cultures in most places, there seems to be this core of, of common understanding, this core of connectedness. Uh, to, to nature, to the environment, and to the assumption that, that the people's well-being is tied to the environment's well-being. There's, there's less of a boundary than we tend to set up in Western culture. So I'm hoping that we'll get more uh, voices like that, actually, in hearing from indigenous people on all continents. Yeah, I think in particular, your conversation with Jay Matenga was quite enlightening for me 
And he introduced me to a term I think he came up with himself of hybridization uh, about how people who have different cultural backgrounds can learn from those who have a more indigenous perspective and sort of bring things together to make a new way forward together. And I think there's some deep wisdom in that that I know I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks and will continue to think about. I think one thing that makes it possible for us to really embrace wisdom from indigenous cultures is the welcoming attitude that people like Randy Woodley have, where he'll talk about indigenous values, but not in an exclusive way. And so he can talk about decolonizing our faith or decolonizing our uh, approach to food and to recommend that to all people, not just the folks from indigenous cultures in North America. A good example of that is Mary DeYoung, who leads the Waymarkers community and was a great guest a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was particularly challenged not only by her embrace of, of a more indigenous vision. In fact, she's one of Randy Woodley's students, so it's no surprise. But also her comment that we all come from some indigenous background, that just really caused me to think deeply in her case, she's talking about Celtic traditions, which is uh, where, where her indigenous roots might lie. But her challenge for all of us to think about our connectedness, historically speaking, to indigenous cultures, I think is a good one. I know I'm looking forward to uh, future conversations on the podcast uh, with people who can continue to help me develop my own perspectives beyond typically Western framework. Another theme that you and I, Forrest, continue to see, and it feels like it's gaining speed, is what we have called the greening of everything. How in the past it seemed that ecological concern or environmental work has been a niche thing for organizations or particular vocations, but now you're beginning to see it everywhere. And this ecological perspective making its way into every aspect of life, be it business, church, home, and even in a really fascinating podcast episode, sports. Can you talk about that particular episode? For me, that was a challenge. I almost thought I should ask you to do the episode because <laughs> my relationship with sports is non-existent. I don't understand <laughs> sports. I've never watched them and I've never played them. So I felt a little bit out of my element. But I have to say that Roger McClendon made sports interesting to me <laughs> when he talked about just the, the different things that, that, that teams and stadiums and, and team owners are doing to increase their sustainability, decrease their carbon footprint. So yeah, I thought that was a, a really interesting episode. I would also add that Courtney Christensen, I think, was really generative in terms of helping me to have new ideas about what greening everything could look like for our listeners, because really her organization, Sparks and Matches, helps people to look for opportunities in everything they do to act justly and to pursue uh, environmental justice in particular. Yeah, I think these episodes for me were, they were a great reminder that we can use whatever platform that we have, uh, whatever our context is, there are changes we can make and there's influence we can have over others. I think with sports, sports has served as certainly a force for social change over the years. And it's interesting to see sports figures uh, like Roger 
using that platform now to talk about the environment and making connections between environmental justice and race. Which kind of brings up another theme, uh, and that is the theme of, of social justice being really linked to environmental justice. And I think that several of our guests have made that point, including Roger. Uh, I was actually quite moved when at one point in the interview, he talked about what it was like to have to coach his children about how to interact with the police. And the issues he brought up are not new to us. We've seen them in the news this last uh, couple of years pretty prominently. But I think his points about the way that black and brown people tend to suffer more of the consequences of of pollution, of environmental degradation than do uh, white folks, especially in this country. I thought those were challenging points to think about. And and I think it's easy to avoid them. It's easy not to think about such things Mm -hmm. because especially if we don't live in such areas, we aren't faced with the issue. And yet we have to pursue the opportunities to face that issue and to understand that there, there is this truth that ultimately we have a part in, that we're, we're contributing to through the injustices, uh, even if unconsciously. Yeah, I think the, the episodes have certainly helped me think even deeper about what it might mean to lead Circlewood as we develop and grow as an organization and consider who we're serving, whose voices are at the table and aren't at the table to help us shape our own future. And we need those voices, absolutely. And I'm appreciative, Forrest, of your desire to include them in the podcast and help them find a place to be our teacher. I have to be honest, maybe the most challenging teacher for me for this last particular six months was uh, Milmer Martinez Vergara with Plant With Purpose. Mm. And I think he had a lot of great things to say about about the, the role of environmental development, uh, attention to creation in the broader sphere of relief and development work. But I think for me, maybe the most exciting and provocative points that he made had to do with his own work with Colombian ex-guerrillas, helping them yes. to find new purpose, to redirect their energies, to, to really find a, a way to uh, integrate into society through the pursuit of environmental justice. Yeah, I think I'm seeing more and more and learning more and more about the connections between environmental justice and social justice, but also in a very related way about environmental healing and social healing. There are so many people doing creative work that are combining the two. Uh, This might be something we want to explore in the podcast in the coming months, because I think it has the potential to bear lots of fruit for the ways in which uh, we think about making things right and bringing renewal to creation, to culture, and to the church. That really reminds me of something that Lenore Three Stars, board member and friend, uh, said to me recently. She said that we oftentimes don't think about the cultural costs of environmental damage. And she was pointing to her people in particular, talking about the ways that environmental degradation had actually eroded their worldview. So Mm -hmm. it impacted their core beliefs and, of course, their core practices when the environment is actually uh, hurt and harmed. One of the most interesting developments that I've seen over the last six months is the speed with which we're beginning to shift away from fossil fuels and towards renewable energy. 
in the news, if you're following, you'll see uh, multiple car companies making pledges to shift towards electric vehicles on a faster schedule than previously pledged. You see major institutions, uh, universities, hospitals, pension systems uh, divesting from fossil fuels in their investment portfolio. And then on May 26, three events happened very close together that, for those who are watching this movement, uh, really caught their attention. The first is that in the Netherlands, a court ordered uh, the Royal Dutch Shell Company to dramatically cut its emissions over the next decade. So you have a legal precedent that a lot of people think is going to be used uh, against other polluting companies. On the same day, Chevron shareholders voted to demand that the company cut emissions, not just from their work of producing fossil fuels, but on the user end as well. They need to factor that in as well. And that is a new development for that company. And perhaps most interesting is ExxonMobil, which not just 10 years ago was the uh, most valuable company in the world. Their shareholders elected two new board members who ran on a platform to promise to push the company uh, towards more responsible climate activities. All of that happened on one day. And yet I'm impressed with the fact that that's the result of decades of work by individual activists, organizations, scientists, people of faith and goodwill coming together and doing the hard, hard work of change. And it's beginning to pay off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an issue I follow with particular interest. Um, One of my pledges to myself in terms of being more sustainable, having a smaller carbon footprint has been to drive an electric vehicle, Mm -hmm. which is powered by the solar panels on my house. Sadly, I have a leaf and leafs are very functional, but not very interesting (laughs) as cars go. And I, of course, have been dreaming and dreaming for the day when they have an electric pickup truck. It's coming. So imagine my dismay when Tesla came out with that horrible, <laughs> ugly thing, uh, which I would never, ever buy. Uh, but yes, my sister uh, showed me on her phone pictures of a new Ford yeah, the Ford apparently available. So it's I'm got, like super excited. Yeah, it's got 70,000 pre-orders. Yeah, and that's the problem. So you got to get on the list. I know. Well, I'm not going to. My other pledge is never to buy new. Ah, so I think I'm going to have to wait till someone gets tired of their <laughs> their uh, truck in order to uh, be able to afford it. So, but in the meantime, I think people who for whom it's not an easy thing to convert right away to electric vehicles, they have options, as Caroline Pomeroy told us in the most recent effort. And I really, really learned so much from her about carbon offsetting. Mm-hmm. I think I knew the basics of it before, but I didn't realize how. How, how much of our lives are actually impacting our carbon footprint. So the various examples that she gave, including eating meat, for example, I mean, that counts as the amount of carbon that we put into the environment. And of course, her organization offers offsetting or opportunities to balance that equation a little bit yeah. uh, and, and to help us, I think, not only produce less carbon in our lives, but also to, I think, become more aware of everything we do. Because when you determine your carbon footprint, suddenly you know all the factors that go into it. And I think that would affect uh, what you do with those factors, how you drive, what you eat, what you purchase in terms of consumer goods. Yeah. And 
if any listener is interested in that, you can go to that episode and in the show notes, uh, click on the Climate Stewards link and you can, with a little bit of effort, figure out what your carbon footprint is and what options you might have to to offset some of that. Yeah. Which brings up a point that if anything we're saying right now is interesting to you, do know that all the podcast episodes, uh, all the way even back to when we started last year, are available on our site. So you can go back and listen to those again or listen to them for the first time. Forrest, you mentioning Carolyn Pomeroy and carbon offsetting makes me think of another theme that has emerged in that we can clearly see that we're in a period of transition from a sort of industrial way of life that has caused the earth to bear a very heavy burden from uh, human patterns and behavior to whatever the future will hold in terms of we need to figure out how to live much more lightly on the earth and with the earth. And you can see that there are people helping us with that transition. Like even as we move towards perhaps a carbon-free future, we have people helping us with that transition, knowing that carbon is going to be part of our life for the immediate future. And it makes me think of Ryan Metzger of Ridwell, who saw that there was a gap in the waste uh, disposal system and with his young son created a company called Ridwell that helps to meet that need and and helps to recycle certain plastics that don't make it through the regular recycling system. And of course, we all look forward to a future of perhaps when we aren't using plastics that are around for a thousand years. But Ryan is one of those creative people who just saw a problem and a need and just created a solution. And I just got an email from Ridwell that said they are now serving 30,000 households across the Seattle and Portland area. A great accomplishment for a young company. And actually, that fact is what worried me about this podcast because it is so local. I mean, it really, they're in two major cities. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean to anyone anywhere else in the world? Sure. And I think he answered that question by by looking at at the power of people to work together to solve problems. As you say, he and his son, his family as a whole really saw a problem. And instead of looking to someone else to solve it, they actually banded together uh, with their neighbors initially to create this new approach to uh, reusing and recycling materials. But his challenge to us was think that way. Don't ever take the status quo as the thing that you must tolerate and live with. But the only way we're going to move forward and live differently is to be part of the solution. And I loved that about the episode. And, and I think in saying that, he really made it applicable to every one of us wherever we live. So Forrest, I'm really curious about what you have in mind for the future. Can you tell us what's coming down the road? Well, what we're doing right now is a sign of hope for me because you are the first person I've talked to in person on the podcast <laughs> now for over well over a year. So I really look forward to not having to do all podcast interviews online. Not that we won't continue to do that because, in fact, you know, one of the objectives is to continue to grow in this direction of global perspective. We've had some really great guests from other countries, and I hope that in the long run, we're going to be seeing more and more of that as our network grows. But yes, I, I, I'm looking forward not only to more in-person interviews when those are possible, but maybe even some different kinds of interviews. Um, you and I have talked about 
wanting to do something more in the field, as it were, where we take our recording equipment and we go to where something is happening, you know, mm -hmm. perhaps a protest over some aspect of environmental injustice or perhaps mm -hmm. a demonstration garden that's modeling uh, for us new ways of eating and growing food. Hopefully we'll have some live episodes like that just to kind of break up the pattern that we've been in so far, which is Zoom, Zoom, and more Zoom. <laughs> I think too, I have found that all of our guests who have really down-to-earth practical challenges are the ones who tend maybe to have more change uh, or in, initiate more change in my, my own behavior, my mm. own life. And I think when you have things you can actually do in response to a podcast, I think you just hold on to that better. Mm. I think uh, it makes the episode more interesting because it engages you on an experiential level. It's not just all yeah. head talk and, and abstraction. So we are going to be trying some uh, new things. Uh, we've been inspired by a couple of our guests, Mary DeYoung, for example, who talks so much about spirituality that is connected to nature and the things that we can do actually to encourage that connection and to encourage the, the perception of God in, in nature, for example. Uh, also, Courtney Christensen, she has a lot of ideas about things like purchasing laundry soap or what to do with your children to make them better global citizens and more environmentally aware. So we are hoping to get more practical with some of the episodes and maybe even begin by featuring those two women more and to bring their voices uh, more into podcast episodes because they are so good at helping us to to think practically and to have action steps that we can respond with. That's great. I can't wait. Mm -hmm. What about you? I think you've got some new ideas to talk about too. Yes. Yeah, so as I think most of our listeners know, the Earthkeepers podcast is part of the Circlewood organization. And we wanted to create something to complement the great work of the podcast. So we have put together an online newsletter and blog called The Ecological Disciple. And what we do is focus writing on ecological discipleship, which is so needed in this age of ecological crisis. And especially when many of our churches aren't addressing this aspect of our faith at all. So we are writing on how people can practice an integrated faith that sees the connections between things like soil care and soul care, renewable energy and racial justice, evangelism and ecosystems, child poverty and climate change, all of those connections, many of which have been addressed in the podcast but the blog is focusing on those on, on a very more explicitly biblical and theological level to help those followers of Jesus who want to deepen their faith and go further in what we are calling ecological discipleship. So we're trying to speak to those people who want to help bring renewal to your own life and faith, to both people and the planet, to your church and the wider creation. And what we say is that the blog is a community for those who are learning to follow Jesus from the ground up. So if you haven't checked that out yet, you can go to www.ecodisciple.com, and we'd love for you to read a few of our posts, and we'd love for you to become a subscriber. Yes, yeah, so we've got lots of new ideas coming up, uh, so I think it's going to make for both an interesting read and interesting listen. When I look to the next six months, of course, I, as many people do, have a lot of hope for, for normalizing life again. 
But at the same time, I think this whole pandemic has made us more aware. And I think it's been an opportunity for us to re-examine our lives, re-examine our, our actions. So I do think that this crisis is an opportunity uh, and that, yes. that we all need to uh, embrace it as an opportunity for change. Yeah. And I think coming out of this time, it's my prayer that more and more people will see that the new normal is that we all need to be engaged in earthkeeping. And I think perhaps maybe the most important thing that that I've had to learn has been the importance of community, mm-hmm. that when you think of, of changing the world, <laughs> changing even our own lives and spheres of influence, it's so much easier to imagine that in the context of community, uh, doing it alongside people, doing it in connection with people, doing it in ways where we, we can benefit from the perspectives of different people, uh, different cultures, different nationalities, and in ways that challenge us to think differently. So my hope is that both the blog and the podcast are going to be kind of centers of community for people, regardless of where they are in the world. They're going to feel connected to each other, encouraged by each other through the common learning that happens in the blog and the podcast. Earthkeepers podcast explores ways in which we can change ourselves, our communities, and our cultures to help us to care for the earth in holistic and regenerative ways. Through curated conversations, we highlight the wisdom of thought leaders and change agents who are making a difference and showing us a way forward. When Earthkeepers stand together, they amplify the impact of their resistance against environmental injustice and multiply their efforts for renewal and restoration. I am Forrest Inslee, your podcast host. Our executive producer is James Amidon. Our producer is Dave Olfers. Forrest Reed is our editor and the creator of our original music. Our research assistant is Rochelle Nordman. And Jessalyn Megerly is our social media director. Thank you, friends, for listening. And please join us next time on the Earthkeepers podcast. <laughs>